Philippians 1, 3 through 8. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles or your Philippians journal to the passage that was just read, Philippians 1, chapter 6. Uh, Philippians 1, chapter 6, ver- verses 3 through 8. I don't know where the 6 came from. It just came out of my mouth. Jody and I had decided back in the spring that it was a perfect time to finish some attic space that we had for years thought about would be um, a really nice upper bedroom, you know, an extra bedroom for guests. And we laughed later thinking about this because it was not the perfect time. Everybody is doing these things right now. You cannot find workers and contractors and and, um, the supply chain is all messed up and the price of wood is high and all these kinds of things. But we didn't know what we didn't know and and we launched into it and we did find a contractor and the work began in May and the guy said, oh, four to six weeks. Here we are in August now, 12 weeks later, and we're still in the middle of the project, something that I've been calling the messy middle because that's literally what it is. So uh, we have right now the floor down, which looks beautiful, but there's no trim. We have um, doorways that are open, but just styrofoam uh, blocking the doors instead of doors. We have a shower that's tiled, but no glass door for the shower and, and on and on. It's this already and not yet. Uh, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday was uh, last week we got an email from our HOA for our neighborhood and uh, they very kindly said, just wondering when the dumpster and porta john will be removed from your driveway. It has been several months. <laughs> and my wife kind of very funnily wrote back and she said, we're wondering the same thing. <laughs> and fortunately through a, a little pressure on the, um, on the contractor, uh, we got that Portageon removed. So that's one step in the right direction. Uh, by the way, he does not go to this church, so I can talk about him and say these things. But it has been the messy middle for us. And I was staring at that dumpster in our driveway and then just kind of the unfinished project. I thought, this is a metaphor for my life right now. I am in the messy middle I am 45 years old. I'm squarely in my middle age. Um, we're in the messy middle of parenting. These, the teenage years, you know, many of you might agree. There's some beauty in them and there's some messiness. I added the beauty part to the service because my wonderful teenage daughter is sitting here in the service. We are in the messy middle, I feel like, in my own spiritual journey. You know, how, you know how walking with God is? It's, it's three steps forward, two steps back. I feel like the last year for me has been three steps back, two steps forward. You know, and I know we all kind of go in these ebbs and flows in our relationship with God, but I just feel like when I look back, it was not supposed to be this hard still in my 40s. 
and here I am. Maybe I've thought the most important things in life are just like this. Maybe we all feel this way in a certain part of us. We are in the messy middle. We are no longer who we were. We are not yet who we will become. Today's passage offers hope to all of us in the messy middle of life. Be it spiritually, be it in your family, be it in any point in time, I found hope in our text and I want to share it with you. Let's dive in. We're gonna start in verse three of this passage. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's a bit of a difficult sentence in English. It's even more so in Greek. Now, part of the reason it's a little awkward to read in English is because of the you alls. ESV chose to translate the plural you as you all, and we might down here say y'all, but the ESV says you all, and it just seems a little bit awkward, but what you gain in the awkward English reading is you gain clarity of who Paul was talking about. Most of the yous of the letters, of Paul's letters and, and the other epistles in the New Testament, the other letters in the New Testament, most of the yous are plural. Paul was writing to a collective, a group of people, a church, a church not that different than ours in many ways. So we're reminded by that. Now, in the Greek, it's very messy. I want to read to you a literal word-for-word -word translation. Some of you are always like, well, I, I like my English translations word-for-word, -word, and you have to be careful what you ask for, because if it was literally word-for-word, -word, here's what you'd get. I give thanks to the God of me on all the memory of you all, always in all request of me on behalf of all of you with joy, the request making on the partnership of you all on the good message from the first day until now. And there's no punctuation in Greek. And Paul had this tendency to write these really long run-on sentences. And so it's really challenging for the translator. And, and any of you that speak other languages and do some translation work of any kind, you know it's difficult sometimes to figure out, okay, what does the antecedent connect to? And what's he meaning by this? Um, I want to simplify this verse as best as I can for you and just let you know that there, there is very simply at the top of this sentence, the top of this verse, a main clause that has a subject a predicate and an object. It could be a complete sentence by itself. I thank my God. Now, all this other stuff that comes after it is modifying. In what way does Paul thank God? How is Paul thanking God? And then you have what, what you know, grammarians would call a purpose clause down here. Purpose clause just means now you find the purpose of it. it starts with that word because, because of your partnership in the gospel. And then you have some more modification from the first day until now. So just look at the underlined words if you want a simple idea of what this verse, these verses mean. I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel. Now, why was the partnership in the gospel such a big deal to Paul? Let me give you some historic context. Paul planted this church at Philippi about 10 years before he wrote this letter. Philippi, right here, kind of near the middle of the screen, 
in this region, you know, I'm going to change colors here, in this region known as Macedonia. What's significant about Philippi is, as best as we could tell, this was the first Christian church in Europe. So, you know, Paul had, had, had launched from uh, the Jerusalem area, and, you know, Antioch, and he'd gone all over the Mediterranean Sea planting these churches. And you can see some of the names you'll recognize. You know, Ephesus is here, and Corinth, you know, he wrote the Ephesians, he wrote First and Second Corinthians, et cetera. He gets to Philippi, and he plants this church. And what we're going to find out is this church has a special relationship with Paul. So after Paul plants the church at Philippi, he goes on, right? And Paul goes on and he ends up, you know, planting more churches. He travels all around. Where Paul ends up, he ends up in Rome in, in chains. So right now, as Paul's writing this letter, he's in chains. He's in Rome. Possibly could have been in chains in Ephesus, but we think it was more likely in Rome when he wrote this particular letter. He would end up dying there. In, in Rome, in chains. And, and he's writing this letter about a special relationship he has with this one church at Philippi. Now, to give you full context for what's happening here, I, I want to show you the next, uh, or not the next set of verses. I wanna show you some verses from chapter four. You can turn there if you want or just look at it on the screen. This is chapter four, 15 to 19. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, which is that region, no church entered into partnership, there's that word again, with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. When people in Paul's day were imprisoned, they were not fed and clothed like we would know about in our prison system. The imprisoned individuals were at the mercy of family or friends or strangers who might show them mercy to care for their needs while they're in prison. Paul is a long way away from home, all the way over here in Rome. What likely happened is Paul's traveling companion and his uh, mentee, Timothy, likely got a job in Rome Maybe there was another travel companion or two with them and they were working and what little meager uh, sustenance they were able to have, they would support Paul, who was not able to do his tent making while he was in Rome. So along comes this man named Epaphroditus all the way from Philippi. Now here's, here's how you'd get to, to Rome from Philippi. You, you wouldn't go across land in that day. There were no good roads from there to there. You would get in a boat and you would risk your life. And there were storms and there were all kinds of things that could happen in that long journey. We're gonna learn in chapter four that Epaphroditus, this messenger from Philippi, he almost died in the course of this mission. And so he gets to Rome, he sees Paul, Paul's overjoyed. Epaphroditus gives him this financial offering to help meet his needs. And so then Paul is saying, all my, all my needs have been met, I got the gift. And he writes this letter that we now know as Philippians back to the church in Epaphroditus, sales, letter in hand, gets back, reads it to the church, and this is the letter that we have in our possession today. 
So when Paul says, I thank God because of your partnership in the gospel, Paul is, this is big. Paul's saying you're sustaining my life. And, and even more important than that, it's not about me, it's about the gospel. In fact, I want to do something with us. Uh, I thought it would be helpful for us to mark every time as we go through this letter, every time the word gospel uh, comes up. It's twice in our text, and we're going to mark it with a cross with a circle around it. So if you want to follow along, you're welcome to. Obviously, you don't have to, but verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel, that's the first time that word shows up in the letter. Uh, And then again, it's going to show up at the end of verse 7 defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Greek word euangelion just means good news. In Greek, it doesn't mean good news about Jesus. It just means good good news. So for example, if there was a a victory in the military battle, the, the person would come back or run back with the euangelion, the gospel, the good news. The good guys have won. The other time it was often used is when there was a new emperor in Rome, they would spread the good news about the new emperor. You know, this guy, you know, and they would talk him up, you know, the good news. You know, hear the good news of the new emperor. And, and so Paul is grabbing on to this, this Greek word and this Greek, uh, or not Greek, it's a Greek word, but it really was a Roman concept as, as it was been being used at this time, of the good news. There's been a victory that's been secured and there's a new king on the throne. And of course, for Paul and for us, The good news is Jesus. So oftentimes, Paul will combine these concepts of gospel and Jesus together. In fact, you might think of it this way. When Paul writes about the good news, he's simply meaning the the, the news about Jesus. And so Jesus is all over this letter, as you would expect. And I'm gonna encourage you to mark each of those occurrences as well. There are 39 direct references to Jesus by name. And I'm not even counting when Paul says, Lord, 39 direct references to Jesus by name. Let's mark them. Uh, Go back to last week's text. There are three there. Look at verse one. There are two references of Jesus. We'll just put a little cross there. Uh, Every time we see Christ or Jesus or the two together. So there's one there. And then there's another one, the line below it. And then there's a third one in verse two, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in our text Today, you're going to see one in verse six, completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And then there's one more at the end of verse eight, all the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, as we go through the book, we'll be marking these. And if my my counting is right, there are 39. There are only 104 verses in the letter to Philippians. That means Paul is writing directly the name of Jesus every two and a half verses. And I thought... What good admonition for those of us living life in the messy middle. That that every two and a half sentences as we wrestle through the moments of our lives that we would remember, oh, Jesus. That we would proclaim Jesus. And I thought, oh, if only every two and a half, every two or three sentences I were uttering the name of Jesus as I'm talking about my life and where I am in the messy middle of all that I have going on. Only if we as a church in every two or three sentences as we are sharing and proclaiming what God is doing here that Jesus would be showing up. If only the gospel of Jesus were proclaimed in such a way by us that it was so 
evident, so obvious that the work that God is doing here is the good news of Jesus Christ that is the hope of the world. And so every time the word Jesus or the word gospel shows up in this letter, we're gonna mark it as anchor points for us in our messy middle, just as they would have been for the believers 2,000 years ago in Philippi. Now, before we go on to the next verse, I wanna give a point of application. Our partnership in the gospel is what binds us together too. Here's why this matters right now. We exist as a church because of our commitment to the vision of the gospel. We don't exist as a church to be a gathering of moral religious people who share common values and gravitate toward a similar style of teaching and music. You know, we, we, don't, we don't exist for the purpose of helping you find friends that are like you. These are all, you know, secondary benefits of this fellowship. We exist for the purpose of making Jesus Christ known, for the purpose of the mission that Jesus gave to his church, the proclamation of the gospel. Our partnership together around this room in the gospel is what holds us together. This is what Matt, was why this matters so much. There are plenty of things today that will divide us. Some of y'all know this, some of you don't. There are churches just like ours all over this country that are fragmenting right now, that are fracturing right now. And they're, they're all, they're, they have differences of opinion on COVID and masks and politics and, and this and that and what we should do and all these kinds of things. And, and I know these are issues that we need to be engaging with in the real world, of course, but we must not forget that our partnership here in the gospel is what binds us together. And so the way that I might say it is with so much that can divide us, we must rally around Jesus. And that's what we're gonna continue to do at Fellowship. The good news that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord and he's entrusted that message to us, the church, nobody else. You know, he didn't entrust that message to any government. He didn't entrust that message to any political figure. He didn't trust that message to, you know, the social media influencers. He entrusted that message to the church. Jesus Christ is the good news. And so we will keep the main thing the main thing. And I want to encourage you to keep the main thing the main thing because it is our partnership in the gospel that binds us together in a world where, quite frankly, there's so much that will be dividing us. And it's not going to get any better anytime soon, I don't think. So let's focus on Jesus. Now we get to my favorite verse in Philippians, one of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians has quite a few recognizable verses. Sometimes uh, I refer to them as coffee cup verses. They're the kinds of verses you might see on the coffee cup. And, you know, I say that jokingly in a way, but I don't, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but I will say sometimes when we rip these verses out of the text and paste them on a coffee cup, they lose the depth of their meaning. And I want to put this one in its context so that we understand what it meant to the Philippians to read these words of Paul. So Paul was the one that started this church. 
It had been 10 years. A lot of messy life had happened in Philippi. Paul was long gone. And what he left behind, the group of elders, a group of leaders, were doing the best they could to continue the work. But there was a lot of mess. Anytime you start something, the beginning is so much fun. It's like, you know, we're going on a trip or we're starting a church or we're launching a business or we're having a kid and you just have all these dreams. It's going to be great. It was going to do this. And I'm sure it's going to be hard. But, and then, you know, life happens. And, and you know, there's, there's some quote from Muhammad Ali. I'm, I'm going off script here. This is dangerous. There's some script from Muhammad Ali that says something like everybody has a plan until you get hit in the mouth. You know, that's what it's like to do anything in this world. It's like you start something, you have a dream, and then boom, you get hit in the mouth. And, and this church had been hit in the mouth. They were in the middle of persecution. They were in the middle of division. They were in the middle of can't make up their minds about things. How do we know all this? Because Paul's going to address this stuff in the letter. So imagine with me, Epaphroditus shows up at Paul's prison, and, and there's this amazing reunion. And Paul's so glad to see him. And then when he shows him what's inside the chest, you know, the money or the goods or however he would have given Paul this gift, Paul's just in tears. He's overwhelmed. And at some point in time, the excitement, you know, lowers enough where they can sit down and have a chat. And Paul says, tell me, how's the church? And you know how these things go. Epaphroditus would have started with all the good stuff. He'd have been like, oh man, you should hear so-and-so preach. You know, you would have, never would have known it 10 years ago, but they've grown into a really good teacher. Or, or you should just see how, you know, remember so-and-so, that person that used to always persecute us, they now believe in Jesus. All these good things. And then at some point in time, Epaphroditus' tone of voice would have changed a little bit. And he would have said, and I have to say, it's not all been roses. There are these two, two women that got into this fight and, and it, it's really ripping us apart. And, and there's this one elder who renounced Jesus. And, and the persecution has gotten so bad that it's created division in our church. Some people think we need to go underground and some people think we should go to the top of the rooftops and we don't know what to do. And he would have shared with Paul all the messy middle of being in a church. And it's in that context that in the sixth verse of his letter to this 10-year-old church, Paul writes, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying Jesus will not leave unfinished a work that he started. Paul is saying it may be messy now, but the day of Jesus Christ will come and it will be complete. Paul is saying it is the work of Jesus, not you. You can't finish it. He will finish it. And that work is not just a work of Jesus in the world, but notice where the work is centered. It's the work in you, he's saying. Finally, notice when he says the when, when it will be completed at the day of Jesus Christ. 
that is an obvious reference to the second coming of Jesus. Whenever you see that phrase, it's the second coming of Jesus. Paul's reminding them, and by extension us, in a sense, everything between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is the messy middle. Is life hard? Absolutely. Is following Jesus hard? Yes. Is creation groaning? It is. It is, and it will be until the day of Jesus Christ. And so it's the messy middle. Do we know when the day's gonna come? No, all we know is there's a tension now. I'm no longer who I was, but I'm not yet who I will become. My family is no longer what it was, but it is not yet what it will become. My attic space is not yet what it will become. You see, the messy middle defines our lives. And Paul is reminding us there will be a day. Do not despair, church. There will be a day. I want to apply this in two directions before we move to the last couple of verses. To our church and to you. Here's the application to our church. We are no doubt in the messy middle. We're 23 years old. We've been through some deep waters. We'll go through more deep waters. No question about that. Being a part of any church is hard. If you, if you engage it well, it's hard. There will be other members that are harder for you to love. There will be decisions that might be made that you're not sure if you like. The music might be too loud for some. It might be too soft for others. You might wish, I wish we did more hymns. I wish we did more radio. I wish we did more original songs. This is the messy middle of living as a body together, as being a church together. If you engage it the way it's meant to be engaged, you will find church is hard. And yet, Paul would urge you through this text, remember there is nothing greater than partnership in the gospel. There is nothing greater than being united around the most important, significant mission the world has ever seen. There's nothing greater than proclaiming the name of the one God-man who is the most beautiful person, powerful entity, glorious being that creation has ever known. And we, church, have been entrusted with this partnership. Yes, it's hard, and it's worth it. It is not our work, it is his work, and he will finish what he started. You're allowed to say amen. I had a guy a couple weeks ago say, is it okay if I say amen? He's new to the church, right? He comes from a little different kind of church. He's like, is it okay if I say amen in fellowship? And I was like, bring it. <laughs> but on the other hand, you don't have to. You know, no, no pressure, that's fine. All right. Let's apply this to you as an individual Christian. Uh, I, hope, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I'm going to be vulnerable here. Following Jesus is hard. Now, on the one hand, I don't mean I wake up some days and be like, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Um, 
You'll, you may have seasons of life where that's true of you, and, and, and I don't want you to be afraid to, to acknowledge that and talk about it and lean into those days. But that's not usually how it is for me in this season of my life, but there are lots of days I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I don't really want to follow Jesus. I'll believe in him today, but I don't want to follow him. I don't want to lay down my life. I don't want to take up my cross. I don't want to serve. I don't want to imitate him. I want to be comfortable today. Life's hard. I want to encourage all of you who are in the messy middle of your spiritual life. The fact that you're sitting in this room right now or watching online means that Jesus is at work in you and he will always finish what he started. I don't know if some of you believe me. You might feel like I just stumbled in here today or it was my choice to be here. And to a certain degree in the mystery of God's sovereignty and our free will, there's some truth. You do have free will. And yet the fact that you're listening today, this verse right now in this room, even if you feel far apart from God, there is a seed of a work in you that Jesus has started. Maybe you say, oh, it's the faith of many years ago and I don't even know if I believe anymore. You're here. God has called you here. There is a work in you. Some of you are like, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's a work of Jesus that he will complete in you, you see. Some of you are seeking. You don't even necessarily wanna find Jesus, but I'm telling you, if you're here this morning, you're listening to this message, Jesus is at work in you and he will finish what he has started. Some of you are stumbling in saying, well, I believe in all that stuff, but you don't know my thoughts the last week. You don't know my actions the last week. I am black and stained with sin. And the spirit of God this morning would say to you through this verse, the work of Jesus in you will be completed. You may be in the messy middle, but you will not always be a mess. So breathe. Don't let the mess overwhelm you, whether it's family mess or work mess or health mess or spiritual mess or just depression mess. Don't let it overwhelm you. Just Put one foot in front of the other and trust that Jesus has started a work that he will finish. Now, let us finish this text this morning, verses seven and eight. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is really remarkable language. You don't see these phrases anywhere else in Paul's writing. I hold you in my heart. It sounds like a love letter. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ. Paul's relationship with this church was unlike any other. In fact, I'd say the most significant thing we learn 
in the context of the letter from these verses, the most significant thing we learn is we learn how deeply Paul loved these people. Why does this matter? Well, think about how you speak to someone that you deeply love. You encourage them and you're really honest with them. You lean in to things they need to hear and at the same time, you build them up. And so everything that Paul's gonna write in this letter, you need to know is coming from a deep affection. Now, why, why does this matter to us? Paul didn't know us. We're not receiving this letter from Paul. Why do we care how much he loved these people? Paul doesn't know us, but the Spirit of God who breathed out these words through Paul knows us. And so when we study this text today, we believe God is able to speak through it to us. So here's how I want you to think about this. And this is a really big idea. And I want you just to kind of just let it stir in you something this morning. The same spirit that was in Paul as he wrote these words is the spirit that is in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And that spirit, although the spirit was inspiring Paul to write these words in particular for the Philippians, the spirit also knew that there'd be a day 2,000 years later that these words would be for you. And the spirit in Paul and the spirit in you, there's a sense in this text that these are God's words to you. This is why we always say this is the living word of God for us today. So when you hear these words, God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I want you to hear them both as Paul writing to his beloved friends and the church that he planted 10 years ago. And I want you to hear him even more importantly as the spirit speaking to you, the spirit of Jesus Christ. I yearn for you with affection. Sometimes it is hard to believe that God loves you. It is most difficult in the messy middle of life. And you need to hear this morning, the spirit of Christ yearns for you with all of his affection. As we walk through this book together, the Spirit will continue to speak to us. The living word of God for us today. And Lloyd and I will close each of these messages with the simple encouragement to live out what the Spirit has said to us. An application point. And we're putting it under this banner of an invitation to joy. That's what this letter is all about. And so here is our invitation to joy this week. Identify one place in your life where you are in the messy middle. 
Ask God to show you a glimpse this week of how he is at work right there. Let me explain. There's, there's a little more depth behind this maybe than you might first grab. For me, anyway, it's going to be hard for me to pick just one place where I'm in the messy middle. But I want you to pick just one. And here's why. Oftentimes, our prayers are so general that we kind of don't even know when God answers them. I want to encourage you to pray a specific prayer this week so that when God answers it, you're going to directly glorify him and you're going to be encouraged. Second of all, notice it's this week. Ask God to show you a glimpse this week. It's one thing to say, God, someday would you show me how you're at the work in the mess of my parenting or the mess of my marriage or the mess of my career or the mess of my health or the mess of our world? It's another thing to say, God, would you this week show me how you're at work in that? Again, we're going for a specific prayer so that we can glorify God when we see that he has answered the prayer. The other thing a specific prayer like this does is it actually glorifies God because you're saying to him, I have faith that you can and will answer this. It's like you're not leaving God many outs and he's glorified by that. It shows your faith. So let's pray a specific prayer that each this week, you just take one thing and you literally say, God, would you show me a glimpse this week of how you are at work there? Because I need to be encouraged. And when you see these glimpses, they're gonna give you what you need to take another step and then another step. And that's how we're gonna go about following Jesus together this week. All right, go ahead now and take out your communion elements. I wanna lead us in this as a response to God's word this morning. And if you didn't get one on the way in and you're a follower of Jesus, we want you to participate in this with us. You don't have to be, um, oh, I've been walking closely with Jesus for the last three weeks and now I'm worthy to take this communion. You are not worthy ever. Only Jesus is worthy. And and participating in communion is an expression of unworthiness in a sense because you're admitting you need his broken body and shed blood. So wherever you are right now in your spiritual journey, if you have crossed the line of faith and would claim Jesus as your king and savior, I would like you to take this bread and just for a minute hold it in your hand. And I want you to think about how messy the death of Jesus was. You know, Jesus, when he held up the bread with his disciples, what did he do next? He broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. A broken body is a messy thing. Jesus was a bloody pulp on that cross. And the mess of his sacrifice to us reminds us that he is strong enough and true enough and loving enough to enter into any mess. And he will enter into your mess to finish the work he has started there. And so we eat the broken body of Jesus in remembrance of him. Now we take the cup, and I want you just to peel back that foil. And what is in this is a tiny little portion of juice that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Again, blood is such a messy thing. Whenever there is an injury or a wound, once the patient is looked after and, and make sure that they're fine, the very next thing that people do is they have an instinct to clean it up. You don't want blood hanging around. No one likes to see blood. And yet here we are this morning actually looking to the mess of blood to clean us. And so our faith is in the blood of Jesus Christ because his blood has washed us. It's washed away our sins and we are clean because of the mess of his death. And so we remember Jesus Christ as we drink the cup. We're gonna close our service this morning by singing one more song, but before we do, I invite you to stand and we're gonna to recite together a portion of the book of Philippians that will become our Philippians Creed. We're gonna keep coming back to this text over and over because it really represents the heart of Jesus Christ for us. And similarly, as we did with our Colossians Creed, we will be unified in our uh, uh, voices as we anchor ourselves to the truth of the word of God. This comes from Philippians chapter two, five through 11. Let's say it together and then we will sing. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.